Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recordings. Time for school. Rock school with your hosts, Dr. Joe Burns. From Cleveland. What'd you call it? The the bleakness of Cleveland? The bleakness of Cleveland. The bleakness you of know? Cleveland. Class is in. It's a Rock School Radio Show on the Rock School Radio Network. 12 stations strong right now. My name is Joe Burns. You are? Monique Gregoire. And for this show and probably the next two shows, we have a guest in the studio. You are? I'm Ralph Wood. Ralph Wood, who has been on the show before and is the drummer in the Impaired Faculties Band, of which I'm a member. And Ralph has been nice enough to come in and talk to us about? We're going to talk about punk rock, a history of punk rock, but today's focusing specifically on kind of proto-punk, things that led up to the punk rock movement of the 70s. Okay, proto-punk. Now, do you have any idea who came up with the term, or is that something that just sort of came around? Yeah. Somebody just sort of, it just sort of generically came into the vernacular. Well, you know, I think proto-punk is one of those things that it was a backwards-looking term. You know, at the time that this music's going on, punk punk rock isn't even thought of. But as we look back, it's like, what were the things that were the primary influences on punk rock or kind of pointed us in that direction? So they, they put the label proto-punk on it. It wasn't part of the, the 75, 76 punk rock movement, but were things that kind of laid the groundwork for that to happen. Those that were actually committing this music, if they didn't call it proto-punk or they didn't call it punk, what did they call it? Just rock? I mean, it was rock and roll. But I think I think when we think about some of the bands we're going to play, these were the artists that were kind of on the fringe. They were the things, I mean, if you think back, the early rock and roll singles, the things that made rock and roll dangerous, provocative, uh, attitude, chaos, anarchy, mm-hmm. um, those are the bands that later the punk rock bands would, would draw on. Um, you know, it didn't take very long uh, for Elvis to don a pretty suit and give up his leather and and all of that you know and so you know we're really talking about the bands who were who were wearing the black leather um who were a little bit raw um right. that the punk rockers would look at and draw from right i mean right. i mean it wasn't an accident that the ramones wore black leather jackets or the dictators wore black leather jackets i mean there's a there's a pull in the the mid-70s back to some of that nostalgic 50s rock, that biker look or that teddy boy look. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that weighs heavily on what we're going to see later on. There you go. And for three shows, we're going to do this. But uh, for this one, it's proto-punk. Right? That's right. That's We're going to try to take it up right until 1975 with some of the bands that were influential or kind of laid uh, the groundwork for that. Excellent. So you want to play uh, a couple sets of two songs that are going to lay the initial groundwork for what you want to talk about. So what are the first two you want to play for us? So the, the first two we're going we're gonna to run through, we're going to do Something Else by Eddie Cochran. Now, I chose that because uh, Eddie Cochran's Something Else, Sid Vicious records that and covers it on the Sex Pistols' Great Rock and Roll Swindle. Mm-hmm. If you look at the Great Rock and Roll Swindle, it's got songs by The Who, it's got songs by Eddie Cochran. Um, and so there's this pull on 60s, 60s rock and some of the 50s stuff. So we're going to, the first thing up is going to be some, something else by Eddie Cochran. 
Then we're going to play Vince Taylor and his Playboys doing Brand New Cadillac. Mm -hmm. Now, Brand New Cadillac ends up being covered by The Clash on London Calling. And some of the interesting things about, about Vince Taylor, you know, he was one of the first guys, at least the British rockers, to wear all black leather. You know, he was the guy that hit the stage in all black leather, 61, 62, right around the Beatles, maybe the time the Beatles would have been playing in Hamburg with the same look. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, David Bowie had said that Taylor was his primary inspiration for Ziggy Stardust. Oh, that's awesome. And so, um, so anyway, so Taylor does a song, runs into some problems with drugs, and, and by the end of his life, he died in uh, the, early, the early 90s. He was an airplane mechanic living in Switzerland. And so, so we had tried to pick a, a couple things that were early rock, Eddie Cochran, something else, Vince Taylor and the Playboys doing brand new Cadillac. Right. And we should hear early punk influences in this. You're going to hear something that, that's, that's going to sound raw compared to Pat Boone or whatever else was on the radio the, the, the late rock. 50s. <laughs> and, you know. Boone, so. Let's play them. Right okay, now. great. Right here, She comes. Talking punk on the Rock School Radio Show, or at least proto punk this week with Ralph Wood. Um, this is your dojo. I mean, this is your kind of music. This is uh, this is the music that really resonates inside of you. So I'm really going to play student to your teacher. Okay. When you hear these two things, Eddie Cochran, I mean, a lot of people think summertime blues and all that. They don't think punk. So why, you know, and, and I'm, I'm thinking Clash, you know, I'm thinking London Calling. I'm thinking, should I stay or should I go? Uh you probably hear it a lot more than other people do. Why? I mean, why were these guys so influenced by Eddie Cochran and, and such? Because I, I mean, I hear, you know, more nice things that mom and dad would be okay with than you know they. My parents would have been okay with me listening to Eddie Cochran, but not the Clash. <laughs> well, you know, I think you listen to Eddie Cochran or you listen to Vince Taylor, and it's it's it comes across as attitude. I think you know, listening to music. And looking back at 50s and 60s music, you know, we look at it in sort of a nostalgic way, but you have to put yourself in what would have been like to hear that song in 57, in 58. It would have caused a ruckus, would have caused a stir. Right. And so, you know, we, we become a little bit desensitized, but if you go back with clear eyes and empty ears, you mm -hmm. can hear what was so wonderful about those and what was attitude, chaos, you know, it's like summertime blues, you know. Go to work, get a job. No, I'm not going to do any of that. You know, yeah. ain't, ain't nothing the like the summer. Rebellion at that time, and it. I mean, rebellion plays a big role in what we'll later on. We'll look at punk rock, mm -hmm. but even punk rock at some point, when it gets commoditized and packaged, isn't rebellious anymore. You know, when you can buy, you know, your Sex Pistols T-shirt at at Hot Topic, it's not really rebellious <laughs> to go to the mall right. and get that. You well, know, that's, I want next. I know the next uh, show is coming up is where I want to do most of that. Um, once it becomes out of the underground, once it leaves the the concept of it's our little thing, is it is it punk anymore? So let's let's go on to where you uh, where you want to take us. I see thirteenth floor elevators. Yeah, you know the the next couple songs, um, the thirteenth floor elevators. You're going to miss me and and Psycho by the Sonics. Chose those for a couple reasons. You know, if you look at sixty six, sixty five, sixty seven. 
kind of the Beatles' heyday. You listen to You're Gonna Miss Me, you listen to Psycho by the Sonics, it's much rawer than anything we hear coming out of the Beatles and much of anything else that's on the radio. In addition, I chose both of these uh, because they ended up on the Nugget Sampler or collection that Lenny K put out. You know, the first double album came out in 72, had the 13th Floor Elevators, You're Gonna Miss Me on it. Who's Lenny K? Lenny K ended up being the guitar player for the Patti Smith group, but Mm -hmm. he was also, he wrote for Rolling Stone, um, worked in a record store. And so he packaged or kind of oversaw the packaging of some of these early uh, 60s, mid-60s, late 60s nugget songs that people hadn't heard Um, that were raw, more on the edge, um, didn't quite fit the pretty mold that was going on in the mid-60s. And so, uh, and then, you know, the 13th Floor Elevators, the lead singer is Roki Erickson. Um, You know, you can check out a a documentary on him, You're Gonna Miss Me, but, you know, Roki got busted for marijuana possession, got put into a sanitarium in Texas, underwent shock treatment, hasn't really been quite quite the same since then um, right. but he throws a, a pretty big shadow in the pre-punk or early punk rock and the thing about early punk is you could go song to song to song like this you could put together a nuggets cd i know they have things today like now that's what i call music what is it 57 <laughs> now but it's it's also polished do you think even something like this could happen today well i mean rhino's done a really nice job of boxing things from the 50s called loud fast out of control that really are kind of the the more punk the anarchy edge of that right. uh, and they have a, a nice series of box sets all the way up through left left of the dial which is mid 80s to late 80s mm-hmm. alternative music so yeah there's there's some nice packages that are out there um but it's going to commit it's going to contain things that people just aren't necessarily always familiar with all right let's put an ear on these it's a couple of nuggets let's go Okay, we got time for one more before the break, talking punk, and now we're going to finally hit a tune that I think the average cursory punk fan or listener would go, okay, this is the first band I would say falls into the, you know, I'm finger quoting here on the radio, punk area. Who are we listening to? So, I mean, this is the granddaddy of them all, right? This is the Velvet Underground with okay. Lou Reed. Um, you know, it was... White high, uh, white white light, white white heat comes out in 1967 and sounds like nothing else that's on the radio. Um, you know, you have songs about amphetamine use, bondage, S and M. This is the dark side of the whole hippie move movement, and so um, a big jazz influence. You have Reed writing the lyrics, playing playing guitar, John Cale playing the viola. And um, there's a really great quote, you know, they, uh, Kale said, you know, with our first album, The Velvet Underground with and, and Nico, we tried to create an album that had some beauty to it. He said, with the second one, with White Light and White Heat, it's anti-beauty. And so uh, this is where we start to hear the feedback, the distortion, the dissonance, um, 
that'll come that'll play a role in 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 punk's generation you know working outside of the edges taking the crayon and not staying in the lines but going as far out as you can and not really caring whether people like it or not Mm -hmm. this is what we do um so, I mean, the Velvet Underground, you know, if there's a first punk band, it's probably the Velvet Underground. Is that one of you, since you're a punk fan, is that the hallmark? Whether people like it or not, that concept, we do it for us. If you like it, come to the party. If you don't, you, you didn't have to come. Nobody invited you. Is that one of the hallmarks of the music? I think one of the hallmarks is like, we're going to do what we do, and there'll be people out there who enjoy it. And if you don't, that's not really our concern. Yeah, nobody asked you to buy a ticket. Right. Yeah. All right, let's play Velvet Underground here on Rock School. Okay, coming into the first break here on Rock School, and I want to take a a little discussion that we were having off air, and I just want to bring it right to air. Sometimes the best nuggets get said right before the microphone's open. I want to make sure it gets on air. You were talking about the first time punk rock really hit you, and again, this is is your area. This is the the music that moves you the most. what was it? What was it that you that that hit you, and why does it have such a resonance with you and those that like it? Well, you know, I think I think for me, the first time I heard what I would consider punk punk rock was is rock and roll high school. Um, Ramones. It was the Ramones. It was the mid mid seventies. It was on HBO. I mean, I didn't see it at the theater, but it's one of those things that HBO just played on a constant loop for a summer. So that was my first exposure to the Ramones, um, and that was you know the mid seventies. By the early 80s, when I'm in high school, you know, it was the first time I heard the Dead Kennedys. And I I don't know that I really loved Holiday in Cambodia the first time I, I, I heard it, but it was a visceral experience. And it was in my face, uh, cut cut like a knife, and it was different than anything else that I heard. It was angry. Uh Angry for real as opposed to angry as a pose. Yeah, we, we right. talk about that in music a lot on this show. There are those that are real and those that aren't. Who's real, the Beatles or the Monkees? And I think punk rock has that as well. It's mm-hmm. You are either a, a, a real punk rock band. You have the, the, the street creds, the word, you know, the incorrect word, but you kind of see what I'm getting at. Mm-hmm. You are either the Stooges or you are some put together grunge band. I mean, who do you feel that when you listen to bands? Oh, well, I look I mean, I I listen for something that I would consider authentic. That's probably the you better know, word. Um You know, Black Flag is to me is authentic. Right. You know, the Dead Kennedys are authentic. The Misfits are authentic. Um I mean, Nirvana was authentic. Um now everything that comes after that I mean, there was a lot of stuff that wasn't authentic about right. that. And so, I mean, you have to, as a listener, uh, as more than a casual listener, you have to dig through a lot of garbage to get to what's real. And it just depends, are you in it for the pose, or are you in it because it's something you enjoy, you're looking for? I was going to ask you about that. Does the inauthentic, the people who are wearing the, the T-shirts... Who you know, if you stopped them and said name three songs, they couldn't do it. Does that That's bug my you? Favorite thing. You know, I mean, I like seeing kids in Ramon shirts. Um, you know, 
course, it would be it would be great if I would ask them, you know, what what are your top five songs, and they could give it to me. You know, yeah. there was a great T-shirt that went out across face Facebook about the current hipster crowd, and it had um, the cover of a Joy Division album. Uh, it had a Depeche Mode at the top of it, and then at the bottom was uh, a Cure song. And it was like, people just don't know, so they just put it all together because it's all right. the same. You know? <laughs> KFOK, Sacramento, California. My guess is they shook over the weekend. Thank you for running the radio show. You got one for me? Radio Universidad, Salamanca, Spain. Wonderful. Back in a minute right here on Rock School. Talking proto-punk for the first of a slew of uh, punk shows here on Rock School. The Doors? The Doors. Come the on, doors? nobody thinks of The Doors as punk. No. Lead me into it. Well, The Doors don't sound like the Ramones. But, no. I mean, if you think about The Doors, you know, the influence of jazz, the influence of spoken word and poetry interjected, there's not that much different between The End and Gloria by, by, by the Patti Smith group. Yeah, see, you and so, I have had this Patti Smith discussion before. I have, I know she played at CBGB's. Patti Smith, to me, has never been punk. She's a poet with a backing band. Well, but, you know, what I would say is that you need to listen to her version of My Generation. You yeah. need to listen to Free Money. You have to work outside of what you're most used to hearing by, by Patti Smith. Put on the whole album and listen to it. Yeah. You know, because it's attitude, it's rawness, it's 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 visceral, um, and that's the thing about punk. Everybody thinks it sounds like the Ramones, and that is just not necessarily so. What what got it there? I, I hate to take you off topic, but what got it there? Was it radio? Was it just popular culture? Was it when it hit? Why did it become this this CBGB box? Is that just how it was presented I to mean, the th- public? Well, yeah, I think I think that's part of it. You know, anything to sell has got to be packaged. Right. And uh, it's easy to get buyers to listen to certain things by the way it looks, you know. I don't know that the Ramones wanted to be packaged, um, but that was the easiest way to sell it. To, to sell it, Seymour C- Stein, you know, takes all those CBGB bands, puts them on Sire, puts them on a major label, um, and then tries to pretty them up and some of them wanted to go in that direction like a blondie uh, but there are other bands that that just didn't fit the mold and fell the side television how do you package television well you know television there there are a lot of people who are into jam bands that like television because they did long songs with with intricate guitar lines again jazz influenced yeah Um, Yeah, you keep talking jazz i never saw jazz in punk Mm -hmm. well you know it's 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 the avant-garde jazz that colored outside the lines, you know, Coltrane, you know, listen to uh, A Love Supreme, chaotic dissonance, um, not that far off of what you hear on a Sonic Youth album. Cool. Now get to a band that we know. Okay, so, you know, The Doors, The Doors play, uh, cast a large shadow, part of it is Morrison's attitude, and it certainly impacted one James Osterberg, who later becomes Iggy Pop. You know, he played in a band called The Iguanas. Gets his nickname. Iggy starts a a band with the Ashton Brothers, um, and they record their first album on Elektra, which is the Doors label. Um, And it's the Stooges, and I want to be your dog. Sounded nothing like 
anything else that was on the radio at that point. Um, dissonant guitar, tribal drums, and then Iggy coming in over the top. I mean, this is one of two Iggy and the Stooges songs we'll play because they, 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 they cast that big of a shadow on what cool. we're looking at. Let's get to it. Want to be your dog right here in Rock School. Continuing on with punk here on Rock School. Okay, Ralph, get us closer to what we know, or I say we, what a general audience would say, okay, that's punk. Keep moving through this proto-punk you're talking okay, about. Okay, so, well, so the next thing we're going to talk about, the next band is the Modern Lovers. You know, Jonathan okay. Richmond is a songwriter. Interesting thing about the Modern Lovers, though, is that Jerry Harrison, who would later play in the Talking Heads, and David Robinson, who'd become the drummer for the Cars, were all part of the Modern Lovers. And so, you know, the term proto-punk, if there's a band that kind of gets the moniker hung around them, ends up being the modern lovers. Simple songs, uh, basic songs. Um, the interesting thing about Jonathan Richmond, they record all of these songs as demos. Uh, people in the area, in the Boston, the New York area where they play, hear them. But an actual Modern Lovers album doesn't come out till 76, which is just as punk is starting to take off. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the time that album comes out, this version of the Modern Lovers is broken up and Jonathan Richmond is off doing something different. Um, but Roadrunner by the Modern Lovers has been covered by everybody from the Sex Pistols on the Great Rock and Roll Swindle to Joan Jett. Um, it's one of those, you know, if there is a proto-punk standard, Roadrunner is one of them. That's it. How can these bands can't stay together? How come bands can't stay together, period, Ralph? Come it's, on. It's, it's like a, it's a gigantic marriage, you know? Yeah. And there's a lot of tortured, creative people in the same bands that just don't make it. Can't do it. So, Roadrunner, yes? Yes. Let's listen to it on Rock School. One, two, three, four, five, six. Coming into the second break here on Rock School, something we're not going to be able to play a song for until after this, but Ralph, take me home. Joe, let's talk Cleveland. And Cleveland, Ohio. And Cleveland's <laughs> role in, in proto-punk and, and, and punk rock. You know, Everybody thinks, at least for early punk rock, New, 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 York, New York City, and rightfully so, with CBGBs and the Ramones and, and all the bands there. But Cleveland, you know, the, the early 70s, has quite a... A small punk rock scene, uh, or proto-punk scene, or or group of misfits to come through that that end up throwing a pretty big shadow. So, you know, Cleveland, the, one of the first bands is Rocket from the Tombs. You know, and that band ends up splitting and becomes Para Ubu and mm-hmm. becomes the Dead Boys. Now we'll play the Dead Boys the next show. I know the Dead Boys. The Dead Boys, but <laughs> Cheetah Chrome and and Stiv Baders, but Cheetah Chrome, <laughs> and uh, you know, was in Rocket from the Tomb. 
And so, so that so that's important. But there was a band called the Mirrors that were influenced by the Velvet Underground and played kind of jangly, dissonant rock. Out of Cleveland. Out of Cleveland. Why have you I know, never heard of you this? Know, I, and you know, when you do some research on, they talk about the bleakness of Cleveland. That's in there the, you go. That's in true. the early seventies. <laughs> you know, and it's funny. It's like my, my nephew's from Cleveland, and he visited a few uh, a few weeks ago, and he said, you know, the new the new slogan in Cleveland is you got to be tough. If you're going to live in Cleveland, you got to be tough. You know, mm-hmm. so, uh, but that has a huge influence, and so um, so a band I want to play from Cleveland is a band called the Electric Eels. Now, the Electric Eels, they have five five public shows. That's all they ever play. Now, they rehearsed a lot, and a lot of people saw them. Um, but they, they, you know, they it was it was hard guitar or hard garage rock with avant-garde jazz. Uh, the last gig to play, the owner throws them off the stage because one of the instruments <laughs> that they decided to use uh, was a lawnmower. And so we're talking about, you know, you know, you know, I've talked about coloring outside of the lines. Yeah. You know, this is completely just wadding the paper up, thrown in, in the trash and taking a bucket of paint and splashing the walls, you know. And so the Electric Eels, it's a song called Agitated. Uh, for a while, they didn't have a drummer, but this is a this is a song that they recorded that that has a drummer. And we're going to play that out of the break. We're going to play that out of the break. Let's get out of this break so we can get to playing at WYAP Clay, West Virginia. Thanks for running the radio show. KSKQ, Ashland, Oregon. Hey, guys. Wonderful. Back in a minute, we're going to play one from The Mistake on the Lake, my hometown, Cleveland. Back in a minute on Rock School. Okay, coming out of the break here, we got to play something from Cleveland. What'd you call it? The the bleakness of Cleveland. The bleakness of Cleveland. The bleakness of you know, Cleveland. Um, God, that's too bad. The, ble- <laughs> the bleakness of Cleveland. Although you know, it's it it really is it's, it's a bigger reflection on kind of where the country's at in the early seventies. You know, Carter would later on talk about that 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 we're in a national malaise, but you know, the hippie utopian dream is is dead. Um, you know. The Stones wrote "Give Me Shelter." It's kind of a reflection on that. Wood Woodstock it turns into a gigantic mud pit. Um, Altamont, Altamont. You know the Doors, the end, and so things are not pretty. And this proto punk or punk rock movement is kind of a reflection on that. Sure. <laughs> so, um, so the Electric Eels do an agitated kind of builds on that. We're bored. We don't care. Everything is ugly. Now, is this the one with the lawnmower? This was the group that, you know, their last gig, the last bar that would have them bans them because for their last gig, they decide to bring a lawnmower on stage and start it up. But that's half the fun in Cleveland. You bring a lawnmower. So let's play them here on Rock School. Oh, I'm so agitated, so agitated. Run through the washer machine and so agitated, so agitated, so agitated. Coming out of Cleveland and the Electric Eels, uh, let's leave my beloved hometown and let's go just a little bit more east, back where most people think that punk originated. Did it or did it just come from anywhere? I mean, I think there were a lot of bands 
instead of New York would have been kind of the proto-punk or pre-punk bands. And, I mean, and, and CBGB's offered that, along with Maxis Kansas City, a, a place for these bands to play. But, but particularly CBGB's, you know, gave a stage to people that had a hard time getting a gig anyplace else. And it, and it nurtured a scene. Yeah. Um, when did it become a punk place? It, I mean, it's, it's country bluegrass blues. Wasn't it to be a folk Place when it started, I mean, marketed I think, after Cafe Wa. I think that was the the goal, but I mean, you know, the first band to play there is Television, which certainly isn't a bluegrass or country no, band. You know, <laughs> you know, I think true. I think you you take the acts that you can get, and people gravitate to a place that is at least open minded enough just to let people come in and play. And that's how that's how any productive scene happens. You know, is that there's a club, there's some place that lets people who don't necessarily sound like anybody else come and have a chance to take the stage. And then the audience follows. Then the audience follows. Or you hope the audience or follows. Or a band of misfits follow, you know, <laughs> that finds you, you know. Sure. And the the band of misfits was large enough. So CBGBs, who is the name? I think we're going to do a name that people will know. You know, I mean, we're going to do uh we're going to play the New York Dolls Personality Crisis. You know, mm-hmm. the Dolls were one of the first bands that come out of the New York area and they were pre pre CBGBs. Um that Ended up with a record label, and uh, you know the the New York Dolls are, are really this perfect blend of glam, punk, fifties rock. David Johansson, Johnny Thunders were kind of you know the answer to Jagger and Richards. Yeah, and now, so where did they, they pull their glam from? Was that Bolin? Was it Mark Bolin they pulled it from? I mean, I think a little bit. The Bolin, yeah. the Bolin throws a big shadow as far as the glam stuff. But I mean, uh, completely dressing in drag. You know, if you look at the first cover of the New York Dolls album, they're I mean, they women. Were, they're oh, a yeah. complete drag, and they're not pretty women. No, <laughs> no. that's for sure. You know, so. Um, um, but I mean, you you drop the needle on on that album, and you definitely. Here's some 50s rock in there. You definitely hear some stones in there. But there's also something that's that's unabandoned, um, that isn't contrived, uh, that is just beautiful about that first New York Dolls album. Now, why aren't they just flat-out punk? Why do you have them in the proto-punk category? I mean, that's a good question. I think just because they predate that whole scene a little bit. Okay. And they would go on. I mean, Johnny Thunder's... The guitar player goes on to play in the Heartbreakers, and the Heartbreakers are right smack in the middle of 75, 76, right. the punk rock Not Tom scene. Petty. No, no. The, the not, band, the Heartbreakers. No, not right. not Tom Petty's Heartbreakers, Johnny Thunder's Heartbreakers. David Johansson, um, you know, goes on with a solo career um, that's more, has a little bit more R&B influenced. Um of course, he later becomes, you know, Buster uh, Poindexter. Buster Poindexter. Mm-hmm. Johnny Thunders does solo albums, plays with a number of bands, and ends up dying in in New Orleans of an overdose. So, but they you still think they're more proto punk than punk because of date? I mean, I would say for date, you know, I think, uh, you know, by the time you hit the seventies, I mean, you you you're drawing a line. You know, yeah. did did punk start in seventy two? Did it start in seventy three? Did it start in seventy four? I mean, I don't know a lot of times that that you can put a definitive line right. on things. There's something that's gestating. Right. We're now in know? the muddy water. And that you know, you know, we're we're at we're at the point where the fish starts to crawl out of the water and onto the land, you know, and, mm-hmm. and where exactly does that happen? I don't know. Yeah. But we're close. We're close. Yeah. Newark Falls here in Mexico. Okay, 
last break on this, the first of, we're looking at, I think, three. You're looking to do three shows I'm on trying Punk, to do yes? three shows. Superb. Right up till Nirvana in 1991. Nirvana's Punk? Nirvana's a punk band. That's what that? I said. I was like, yeah. I don't see that at all. Posers. <laughs> I've been looking for this show, by the way, and a little bit behind the scenes. You and I have been friends for you know a decade, and at one time at a party uh, that uh, you said to me, "Well, I can take punk all the way to Nirvana." Do it. And That's what we're gonna do. So here you yeah. are doing it. Okay, last break. Proto punk. Take us. All right. So there's a there's a couple songs we're not gonna get to, but you know, Lou Reed ends up the cover of the first. Punk magazine, uh, you know that was a magazine or a fanzine that came out in New York, and you know everything from being the lead singer of the Velvet Underground, songwriter, uh, Walk on the Wild Side is really kind of the first time we see something start to get a little bit of radio play, mm-hmm. and that's from his '72 album Trance Transformer. Um, we're not going to get to play Para Ubu, but they're another. You know that was. Uh, a Cleveland band that came out of Rocket from the Tombs, uh, and they have a great song called Final Solution, uh, which is there again talking about the bleakness and leaving in Cleveland, and I don't need a cure, I need a final solution. And so, um, I mean, for this show, we're going to wrap up with what uh, I would consider maybe the first punk rock song. And uh, we're going to play another song by Iggy Pop in the Stooges. This one comes from their third album, Raw Power. Now, Iggy got the title of this song after he read uh, a newspaper and saw the term Search and Destroy Mm -hmm. uh, talking about Vietnam. And so he writes the song. Now, when this song gets written, the Stooges have have released two albums. They haven't sold well. The band is in chaos. Iggy's got a drug problem. Other people in the band's got a drug problem. And so the band is is pretty much done. Uh, In Steps... David Bowie, who actually, you know, we, we, we right. could have played a Bowie song. So Bowie comes along, and Iggy always feels like Bowie is one of the few people that kind of gets where he's going. And so uh, they go to England to record. Now, at this point, there are no Stooges. Iggy's it. Um, but Iggy's been working with Kevin Williamson, who ends up being the guitar player on Raw Power. So they're trying to figure out, how do we put a band together? And so they bring back uh, the drummer, and the original guitar player from uh, the Stooges, Ron and Scott Ashton, come back to play on that. Ron Ashton, who was a guitar player, uh, moves to playing bass. Scott Ashton plays drums. And the result is the Raw Power album. Now, Bowie, Bowie produces this, and that's the track we're going to listen to. And it's still pretty visceral. When Williamson's guitar comes in, you know, it's just like a hot torch. Um, later on, Iggy would go back and and remix the album and it's even more abrasive than it was than than this version is but uh you know it's it's with the stooges that iggy builds his reputation as you know the the live performer you know all all the stuff you've seen about him rubbing peanut butter all over him and cutting himself and stuff that kind of sets up sid vicious a few years later um but iggy is the man you know and this is the song you know if you want to go out in the street and set fire and break things (laughs) this this is this is the soundtrack to that so where are we going next week next week you know next week i think we're going to focus on um 
kind of the first wave of punk bands uh, that a lot of people, some of the bands people are going to be pretty familiar with. We're certainly going to play something by the Ramones. We'll play something by the Sex Pistols. We'll play something by the Clash. Uh, we'll also play things by Television, Patti Smith Group. Hey, these are the um, names. Yeah, these, this um, is the stuff I know. I mean, this, yeah. is, this, is, this is the kind of traditional grouping. You know, but I think what we're going to see next week is that None of those bands sounded exactly the same. Right. But it's out of that that we start to see the kind of the commodi- the commodization of what punk rock is, which leads to, you know, the whole post-punk thing that starts in 1981 when we move past that first wave of bands. Excellent. So, one week down, at least two more weeks to go. Maybe we can run them into four, but probably three for sure. Mm-hmm. So, proto-punk is done, punk next week, and we finish with Iggy and the Stooges. And we'll see you all next week. You are? Hey, Joe Burns, you are? I'm Ralph Wood. Got to do it. Class is dismissed. I'm a street-walking cheater with a high-